Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. You, buddy. So the great Ron, excuse me, bad start here on a Tuesday. The great Ron White. God, I'm having trouble talking. Uh, after that game Saturday, probably uh, a lot of you are having trouble talking. This is J.C. Sherbert. Thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring this portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. It is Tuesday, October 12th, and as we do every week, we're going to review the previous games. Shane Beamer's got a press conference previewing Vandy later today, so we'll get into Vandy and dig into that game later this week. But, uh, you know, I like to wait before giving my thoughts on a football game. Uh, I usually don't do it on Sunday, either on the thebigspur.com or here. Sometimes I'll go early if I kind of got a good feel for it. But uh, I like to rewatch and make sure I don't say anything dumb and uh, after the first and goal at the three on Saturday, I gave an opinion about Marcus Satterfield as the offensive coordinator, and that hasn't changed uh, on thebigspur.com. Didn't put it out on Twitter or anything like that. that that's really not helpful uh, to anybody uh, to, to do it like that. But, um, guys, I just uh, – and gals that listen to this podcast, I just uh, – something's just not working there. Um, you know, I, I've been watching football since 1986. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, uh, you know, you, you work hard all year to try to get the run game going. It's finally going. Uh, Kevin Harris is, is breaking loose. Marshawn Lloyd had some good runs in the game. And you just, uh, you just don't, uh, get inside the three in a game like that in a critical situation because, Look, Tennessee has started fast on everybody they've played this year. Uh, and the teams that have beaten them, Pittsburgh and um, Florida, they've responded. I mean, you know, you had to anticipate, hey, you know, the chances are with the tempo, with the fact that defense hadn't played a tempo team uh, this year uh, and with the way they were in sync heading into it, you have to kind of say, hey, look, you know, th- these guys are probably going to – have some early success, 
And what you have to do is respond. And you got to respond with your offense in a lot of ways. Uh, and a lot of times you, it's, it's very helpful if you can run the football. Well, <laughs> you go out there and, and this, this, this crap started like before uh, the issues inside the three. I mean, Marshawn Lloyd has one of his best runs of the year, nine yards on second and one, and then there's three straight passes. Um, you go into the game uh, early on, Luke Doty was off. Uh, you're rolling him out of the pocket like he did against Troy. Whoa, there's film on that now. Tennessee was ready for the rollouts. Um, you know, and th- there were just not a lot of answers on offense, a lot of uh, – Critical uh, issues still. Offensive line, I thought, played a little better. Uh, didn't look as confused, but they're still confused. I mean, look, let's just call it like it is. People could say what they want about, oh, they're getting physically overwhelmed or whatever. But how many times have these guys gotten really physically overwhelmed in the two or three years before now when they played at South Carolina? I mean, it happens. I've said it before. It happens. Offensive lines all over the SEC. But, uh, you know, four or five guys out there not moving and playing and being as athletic as they are, that is a telltale sign of confusion. And, you know, I've been told by some folks, too, that uh, back me up on that, that uh, it's just too complicated up front. And, you know, you know, you can say simplify all you want, but it's been six weeks. So, you know, that's not an ideal situation. You know, Doty, I think, is still learning as a quarterback. I think that if he, you know, has issues right now because of his foot and there's another option, I don't know if there is. Not at practice. I've heard Jason Brown's gotten better. Then, you know, you should probably consider it. Uh, and that's nothing against Luke Doty. I'm not saying he needs to be benched. I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and I think he's gotten better this year than last year. But there's something not clicking uh, at times with him. Um, he's you know sometimes he misses receivers. Sometimes you know it, it, he looks hesitant to run, and uh, all that good stuff. And so that's not good either. But um, I think that's way down the list of things that need to be fixed. Uh, so, so this play calling issue, it started earlier than that. I mean, and you're in a game like that, and you know, you have to figure out pretty quick, can I run the ball or not? And the answer was yes. You know, the answer was, hey, they're getting some, they're opening some holes. The, you know, the guys, like I said, Lloyd with a nice nine-yard run. Still don't think he needs the ball more. Uh, six carries, 24 yards, though, is at least up from three for three against Troy. He doubled his carries. And, um, you know, finally, I guess third drive of the game, down 14-0. That's a nice drive. Uh, Doty completed some passes. Uh, Kevin Harris was running the ball. You get it first and goal inside the three. And, look, nothing against the carry and joiner and his work that he's put in. But, you continue to run the wildcat thing either out of the shotgun or understand whatever he was doing. And he continues to just keep the ball and try to run. And he's just getting blown up. I think that when you study tendencies on DeCarry and Joyner, you know, you're like, well, when that guy comes in the game at quarterback, he's going to keep it. And you look at it and well, first of all, Lloyd went through a hole that you could drive a truck through. Uh, you know, there were some defenders in the area that probably could have closed, but you're at the three-yard line. Lloyd's got enough shake to kind of get off 
some of those guys and, and make at least a play for the goal, or at least you're at the one, you know, with that. Then Joyner rolling out has two tight ends wide open in the end zone and doesn't see him. He gets tackled for a loss. So then uh, that magic obviously didn't work. <laughs> uh, nothing magical about that one, that play call. And then probably the worst play call I've ever seen. Uh, and it's not, it's not the play, you know, the play design or the, or that they were going to do that or that, you know, there wasn't an open Nick Muse for a little bit in the back of the end zone that a good throw would have made it. It's that you have a guy in Jordan Birch, great athlete, valuable player on the team, five-star recruit, uh, is getting better and better and better. Don't have a problem using them on offense either. Uh, but you're out there in probably the most critical moment of the season, and you give it to him and ask him to throw the football – uh, you know, chances are he's probably not going to be throwing it that well. I mean, chances are, you know, this guy's not a quarterback and he's never done it in a game. And I guess it worked in practice or whatever, but, uh, that was just awful. Um, because what you're telling your team there is, okay, guys, we finally got the run game going, but I don't think you're good enough to run it in from the three yard line. Uh, and look, I you know, the sequence of plays there with Joyner and then, I mean, look, you, you go on first and second down um, and you're probably going to go for it, you know, if you get to fourth is my opinion in that situation because, you know, even if a field goal doesn't do you any good, they're still 98 yards away. You play a little field position, hopefully you stop them, and, and it's not that bad. But, um, you know, you, you, you threw that ill-advised thing, and, and it was on first and second down. That that was the big problem I had. I, mean, I was like, this is the most clueless thing I've ever seen. You know, Beamer said after the game, they decided when they got down there they were going to use it, but maybe save it for third or fourth down. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just doing it in first and second. Back-to-back plays that uh, have, you know, first of all, the joiner thing's not worked all year. I mean, I don't really care what it's done in practice. It's, it's not worked all year. He keeps it every time. He did here. I mean, the, there were two different decisions he could have made that probably would have resulted in a better outcome. Not saying a touchdown if he'd have given it to Lloyd, but uh, boy, Lloyd was he ran through wide open space. I actually thought he had given it. I actually thought it was a touchdown on TV, uh, and then of course it wasn't. Uh, and, and then you back, you know, you back to back, you roll out the the Jordan Birch pass. Uh, and again, look, Muse was open, but you can't trust a guy. It's not that you can't trust Jordan Birch either. You can't uh, rely on that an inexperienced player in that critical situation. If it were fourteen seven, and you you try to run it in creatively, hopefully uh, on first or second down, and you don't get there then, um, yeah, man, that's fine. Because at that point, you're getting stuffed and you got to do it. But in that situation, I think you at least got to give Lloyd or Harris a try. Or even if you ran like an option with Luke Doty and got him on the edge, um, I, I don't I don't think that's a big problem. But putting Joyner under center was bizarre. Uh, Joyner not, you know, keeping it yet again was expected. Uh, and there's nothing against him. That kid's trying. I mean, it, you know, his efforts there. It's just that just doesn't work. It hasn't worked all season. 
you know, there, there should be a collective groan from the Gamecock crowd every time they try to do it because it just hasn't worked. You know, and, and, and so you're in a critical situation and you're depending on a play that hasn't worked and an extremely risky play uh, to a guy that's never thrown a football in a game and on the college level before. Um, and so that was just awful, you know. And if it were just that, I'd say, well, you know, huge mistake there, uh, whatever. You know, it's not the whole game. But th- then you look at it, I'll go to the second half. I mean, there's no sense of urgency on offense. They're methodically driving the ball. People were, you know, excited or happy or whatever. Some of you about, uh, you know, outscoring Tennessee the rest of the way. And that's good. Hopefully they can build on it. I'm not I'm not going to crap all over that. But, you know, I'm sitting there looking. And after the fake punt, it's 38-14. Carolina gets the ball. They're just kind of slowly driving it down the field. I mean, it, to me, you got to take a shot. Okay, so then they score finally. Um, and again, they lined up and ran the ball in with Kevin Harris from the six. He's pretty good at sniffing the end zone. If you've watched any film on Kevin Harris, you know, he's a guy that if he's just got a little room, he can wiggle his way in there. Uh, and I think Lloyd's capable of doing that as well. I don't know if, unless you got Juju on the edge. Now, if you toss sweep or something to him, I'd, I'd trust Juju to get it in there. You don't want to run him up the middle in that situation, but um, you you finally score. Okay. So here's your last breath of air, right? The two point conversion and, and, you know, good call by Beamer to go for two. Cause at that point it's a 16 point game with uh, 13 minutes left and, and you don't know what can happen. I mean, you know, you pick up a fumble and run it in and all of a sudden it's an eight point game. If you get the two, Um, there's plenty of time at that point to make a miraculous comeback. Uh, I, feel like it was unlikely that that was going to happen, but you don't just sit there and methodically do it and not take a shot because, you know, what you got to do when you're trying to make a comeback from that much down is, you know, you're hoping you can score in like 20 seconds, you know, it doesn't take much time off the clock, maybe hit a deep pass or there's nothing like that. Um, And then the beginning of the game before the third drive that they complete that, was botched in the three, you know, how many times all year have you guys seen Marshawn Lloyd have a hole like that? He runs for nine yards on second and one. I get second and one, you know, that's kind of a a passing play calling situation. I get that. But uh, you, know, you got to go back to the well. You can't just throw three straight passes. And, you know, somebody had to know that the, the rollout was on film then and Tennessee was going to account for that. You know, coaches aren't dumb in this league. Um, and, you you know, you just you just keep going on and on, and you look at the whole season, it's just not working. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. And it hasn't been working, you know, quite frankly. And, and I'm the type of guy, you know, it, it, it's I'm going to give coaches a chance. Uh, I'm very pro-coach. Uh, I don't think everything's always on coaching. Uh, I I know at the college level, it's easy to blame the coaches. I think sometimes the players just don't do it. But, you know, there are issues with this offense. And I, I'm not just speaking about it because it's my opinion and I'm some, you know, football guru because I'm not. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I'm not going to sit here and be overly critical unless I'm sure that my opinion aligns with others. 
and, and the first thing is, is that, you know, this team on offense was never built to be a, you know, uh, I guess uh, pro style spro. I don't know what they're doing. So it's hard for me to even say that. I, I don't know that it's, uh, or I don't know what Marcus Satterfield's doing. All right. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. There's a, they, but it's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go say what it, uh, what it is. I'm gonna call it like it is. I don't know what he's trying to do. Um, it, it's just a collection of ball plays. Now, some of those plays are great designs. I mean, I, I talked to a coaching friend of mine that said, yeah, it's a disaster from a play calling standpoint. And this is not the only person that's backed up my opinion on this. This is an external source outside of the University of South Carolina. Um, and uh, he's like, the, the designs of the player, they're running some good stuff. I mean, it's good stuff. And, and chalkboard-wise, it, it, you know, it, it theoretically should work just like most plays in football. But there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. There's not setting things up. I mean, it's just, you know, and look, I mean, South Carolina's had some bad offensive coordinators. You know, Kurt Roper to a fault, and I think he actually, when you look at his first year at Carolina, it was better than what's going on right now, and he had less personnel and a younger team. Um I, uh, you know, Kurt Rober almost to a fault would try to set things up. Um, you remember the Georgia game in 2017? You know, they, they ran like a play for some window dressing over and over. And then, you know, the, the they dialed up a deep shot to Brian Edwards. It was there. Bentley got hit through a pick. Um, and I almost felt, felt like that was to a fault. You know, you can't just wait around and set things up, but, but there's no, it doesn't appear to be, there's anything setting anything up. And, and it's, it's one thing to do it on a chalkboard. Like I said, about landing the plane, it's, it's, it's a much different situation when you get into games and you can have the greatest designs and ideas and concepts in the world. But number one, if your players can't get them down, you know, you're going to struggle at the college level. Number two, if uh, you can't call it in the game, you're really going to struggle. Really going to struggle, you know. Um, and so that was that was what was disappointing about that game. I understand the defense didn't play up to their standard, but you have – and the only gripe I would have about the defense is this. Tennessee really killed them on the perimeter, and it, and it wasn't – you know, we've seen some awful – you know, perimeter game on defense uh, over the years at South Carolina, especially the last few guys that didn't want to come up and tackle. It wasn't that. It was that the D-backs, the defensive backs were had the player, you know, the receivers in front of them. And, you know, so because you don't want to give up the big play. You want Tennessee to have to drive down the field. Although there is a school of thought that you just come out aggressive and try to say, hey, we're better than you and, you know, I don't know if that would have been the case or not. And if you give up a big play, that's fine. And when you're good on offense, which South Carolina is not, you know, I think you can do that defensively. You can say, all right, well, hey, look, you know, we're if uh, if you score in two plays, which Tennessee actually did score in three um, or so, uh, then fine, we're getting the ball right back for our offense. We're going to go down and score on you. And if we get in a track meet, so be it. Um. 
But so there was a school of thought you could do that. But I mean, I understand the Clayton White's game plan. I thought they made adjustments in the second half. I know Tennessee. I don't want to say they took their foot off the gas, but you know they weren't going quite as fast. But you know the issue on the perimeter was this on defense: is the guys were back trying to make sure they didn't give up a big play, and then so the closing issue was there. And, and sometimes Tennessee had a blocker out on the perimeter, and they outnumbered Carolina, and they, they got the guy on the ground. I mean, you know, we believe me, guys, we've we've seen teams destroy South Carolina on the perimeter defensively the last few years. And that didn't happen. I mean, they, um, you know, they tackled them, got them on the ground, but it brought up situations like instead of like a third and six, third and seven, it was like third and two. And in that situation, Tennessee can call whatever they want. Tyon Evans is an outstanding back. He impressed me not only with what he could do in space and speed wise, but he's powerful lower body guy. He can get the pile moving forward. Uh, They absolutely did a great thing. And then you got Hooker that can run too. Um, you know, and in the passing game, they picked on David Spalding a little bit after the first uh, touchdown to Hyatt, which you know I know that was probably intentional, right? Kid from Columbia. Um, Spalding had good coverage, and his hand just missed the ball. I mean, it's a completely different play if uh, if you just the hand just hits the ball. It was right there, just went through it. So credit them for that. And sometimes that happens. And then Spalding got picked on a little bit later, but you know, so if, if there was any complaint about the defense I had is like, they need to come up a little more in coverage um, because they just weren't fast enough to close on the perimeter. Now they were missing Cameron Smith. Cam has done a great job closing speed wise this year. Um, the other guys have been good, but you know, not as good as Cam. And so, yeah, you know, I don't want to blame it on Cam missing the game, but, you know, maybe it's a little different situation or, or maybe he's not on the side that they ended up picking on. Who knows? Who knows? But South Carolina's defensive backs just didn't close fast enough uh, on those perimeter throws. And then that opened up everything else for the offense, for the, for the defense. But we all saw the defense adjust and say what you want. They adjusted. They got some stops. And this situation inside the three was so demoralizing. You could tell with the team's body language. And, and look, credit Carolina for getting back up. Credit the players for getting back in, their head back in the game. But by the time that happened, it was 35 nothing. The game's pretty much over at that point. Um, did have a breath, a last gasp of breath on the two-point conversion, and that was it. Um, so all roads sort of lead back to offensive incompetence, you know, in one way or the other. And, you know, people ask, you know, what do you think the issues are? I, I, and I, I went back and looked and, and did some research. Now, as is the case with everything, football, life, whatever, it's not always absolute and it's not always 100%. You know, it's not like every coach is this way, but there's a long list of guys that, that have gone to the NFL either for one year or a couple years that have come back to the college game. And their, their football, you know, when you talk about the chalkboard and chalk talk and play design and, you know, concepts and stuff, like that, they can do that all day long. Brilliant people. Brilliant people. Because in the NFL, you have to be. 
you know, everybody's got players. You've got to be somewhat complex because there's really good coaches that can figure you out. The talent, there's no not a lot of talent differential. There is, but there's not a whole ton of it. Um, and so you look at it and, you know, you have to be complex, but you also have all week to work on it. These are professionals who are getting paid. They, all they have to do, all they do all day is work on football. The NFL evaluates these guys not only for their athletic ability, but their mental ability to learn and retain, uh, you know, and they'll pass on a guy that can't because they have to learn it and it has to change week to week. And there's lots of moving parts and, that's fine when you have all day to do it and you got pros, older guys, guys that aren't in college, guys that don't have to go to class, guys that aren't restricted to 20 hours work a week, you know? And, you know, you've heard the term, Muschamp used it, drinking out of a fire hose. The entire offense to me still is. And, that, and probably some of the coaches too that are trying to do this crap. And it just doesn't work. It's what it is. It's crap. When when you when you're doing something that doesn't work, and it's not really because you know you're, you're trotting walk-ons out there at key positions, which happens sometimes. Uh, and that's crap. It's just you know you're you're, you're overcomplicating it. You're you're peeing in the cornflakes. You know this team last year was not a good offensive football team. They couldn't. They had no semblance of a passing game. They were limited skill-wise at that at that spot. Guys dropping passes or just couldn't get open. You know, Shy Smith being the exception, Nick Muse being the exception. They went with Doty. But by God, they had running backs and an offensive line, or a running back and an offensive line. Well, I'll say running backs because Deshaun Fenwick had a pretty good year too carrying the ball. And people are like, well, you know, and, and this is a big lie that I think a lot of fans tell themselves. Kevin Harris did it all on his own. That's not true. That's not true. South Carolina was second in the conference behind A&M, who had a really good offensive line, in yards before contact. Kevin Harris had holes and plays dialed up for him. And if you think it was just Kevin Harris, go look at Deshaun Fenwick's yards per carry. Um, compare. I don't know what he's done at Oregon State lately. But if you look at it, Fenwick looked like a different player. So did Rashad Amos when he got it. So, you know, people are telling me it's the players and the talent. No, it's not. It's not. You know, these guys, or it was all Kevin Harris and he missed time and was hurt. Oh, no. You know, Kevin, Kevin did a lot. Kevin's a good back, great back even. But, you know, yards before, before contact, tell me, you know, hey, look, there were some holes. And there were some plays dialed up. So, you know, I, I did some research and I started looking at it. And there are, again, it's not universal. Like I was going to say, there are a lot of guys that go to the NFL from the college ranks and they just fall in love with all this stuff. And that's fine. I get it. These are ball coaches. They love ball. You know, they sit there and draw diagram stuff all day and talk about concepts and you get really excited. I get it. I'm not even uh, – I'm not even saying it that they're if you sat down and had a discussion with them that it's wrong because it's not. It's good concepts, good stuff uh, you can um, you know, good stuff you can use in football. But you know, and, and I get back to this. Okay, so 2015, Brian Schottenheimer is going to be the uh, offensive coordinator, of Georgia, right? 
because uh, Mike Bobo had left to go to Colorado State. This was Mark Rick's last year. He got fired. Um, and I know against Carolina, you know, Grayson Lambert, he just kept completing short passes. <laughs> uh, and I'll get to that in a second as an example. But that ended up being a disaster when all was said and done at Georgia. And Mark Rick got fired. Okay. Schottenheimer's a guy that's a pro guy. Marty Schottenheimer's son. And uh, it's not that Martin, Brian Schottenheimer doesn't know football. It's that, well, you know, what you were doing isn't really working at the college level. Um, and I haven't dug into it to see if it was too complicated or not. I know at least against South Carolina that year, and I'll get to this, you know, sometimes you want to run th- something until they stop it. And at least he did that against the Gamecocks. All right, so we'll stay on 2015, Spurrier. Defense was god-awful in 2014. He didn't want to fire anybody, but you had to do something. So he brings in John Hoke. You remember John Hoke when he was at Florida? Pretty good football coach, college level, and really has been pretty solid since. You know, I think Maryland, he had some pretty good defenses and that maybe petered out a little bit. But uh, So he's been in the NFL all these years, right, since he left Florida. I think 14 seasons, maybe. Maybe he was somewhere else in college. I don't know. I didn't pull up his resume yet, but I, I believe he's in the NFL the entire time after he left the University of Florida. When he comes back, yeah, again, John Hope, not a bad football coach, smart guy, knows what to do. They go to some sort of Tampa 2 complex type of deal in the secondary, and, you know, <laughs> Ryan Schottenheimer's just completing pass after pass after pass with Grayson Lambert in that game. And, you know, South Carolina's defense um, didn't really get any better all year. I mean, you, you look at it and, you know, they had some JUCO guys in, some new guys that came in to try to help. But the, the, that, that defense, you know, when, when Sean Elliott took over and G.A. Mangus took over the offensive play calling and all that, the offense got better and they were on the field more. But – yeah, you lose games 35-28, 37-32. Definitely could not stop the triple option against the Citadel, 27-24 at Tennessee. Um, did shut down Vandy. But, look, man, you know, that was probably too complex. And talking to people that were on that staff, it was. Confused. Confused players. Look at Missouri's defense right now. They are god-awful at stopping the run. You know, got in a shootout with North Texas and won it this past weekend. But, boy, as bad as Carolina did against Tennessee, it wasn't anything like Missouri. Eight yards, seven, eight yards per carry. They are giving up on the ground, and Missouri was not expecting to be bad on defense this year. That's some personnel back and all that. Drinkwitz let his coordinator walk to go to Illinois with uh, Belima. Bielema, that is. Hired Steve Wilkes. We all know who Steve Wilkes was. I think he was head coach of the Cardinals, considered one of the better defensive minds in pro football, but he's a pro guy. Comes back, college game, they're giving up eight yards of carry. And, I, and I'm going to say this, it's a different game in college. Um, 
and 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 it's not necessarily the X's and O's. It's the complexity of it. In the NFL, you, you every play you got a ton of checks, scenarios. This you you got a process to play pro football. And you got you got a process to play football, period. I'm not just saying, oh, you need to dumb it down completely and just be a simpleton out there. But like I said, you don't have that much time during the week to really do all this stuff. And so that's that's a theory of mine is that, you know, you know Kurt Roper, uh, people talk a lot about Kurt Roper probably because he was the first coordinator Muschamp brought in and kind of like Satterfield, people were iffy about it. I'm still convinced that at that point, a lot of people who were iffy about it thought Roper was the coordinator at Florida all four years. Uh, I know that because people have said it. Um, and I don't think Kurt Roper did that bad of a job his first year considering the personnel. But, you know, what I was told he did, he spent that one year with the freaking Browns between Florida and Carolina and came back with all these new, we're going to run all these RPOs like they do in the pros and all that, which is great. I mean, shoot, uh, Nick Saban in Alabama run a heavy RPO game. Sark caught, dialed it up well. O'Brien caught, dialed it up well. I don't think they're sitting there going, you know, all these hours of install and all that. I think, I think Nick Saban sets the parameters uh, with his program. They have the best players. Uh, I know on defense it didn't look like it Saturday night, but they have the best players and they have smart players. And, you know, when you have that kind of talent, you know, you you can dial some things up that maybe, you know, you can't worry about uh, when you've, you've got another talent level. But, uh, you know, so that was the idea. You run all, the, all these RPOs. Well, the, the problem was this. In 2017, it all went on Jake Bentley. And it continued to be that way through Jake's career, but um, which which was fine. I mean, that guy can Jake could could have handled it, and he he did. But there was also the issue of in game play calling that just didn't it just didn't work. I mean, Roper proved that in that year he had very little feel for the game. There was a lot of confusion on game day. There was a lot of angst over the headset. And and just people and, and look, I've never seen a good play caller get all mad on offense. Defensive guys are different. Defensive guys can they get fired up, you know, on the sidelines, and that's fine because it's defense. I've never seen a really good offensive coordinator just lose his freaking marbles uh, often uh, and, and be worth a crap because I think you have to stay calm and cool and collected. You've got a quarterback that's in college that you have to communicate with, you got to be clear and concise, and you've got to know what's going on. you got to know what's going on. Um, you know, and Mike Bobo, that, that guy, you score a touchdown, he gets fired up in the press box, no doubt, when he's dialing them up. But you watch him call the plays, and he's calm. You know, he's just there, calm. Uh, I don't know if that's happening in South Carolina either right now and so that's what i'm a roper you know when you when you look at the nfl thing i'll continue on this um it's not universal todd monken's doing a good job dialing them up at georgia right now did a good job with their quarterbacks uh and he was in the nfl so 
You know, I mentioned Alabama, Bill O'Brien. I mean, those guys are doing well. But also, go down to Baton Rouge. They got all kinds of problems. They can't run the ball. They're talking about simplifying. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, and so then I'll get to Joe Brady and the Joe Brady influence on the offense. And, and, and somebody told me that really knows football in 2019. was talking about what LSU was doing. And LSU had overwhelming talent on that team. Uh, I don't even know that anybody saw Joe Burrow having the year he did. A, a lot of people – you talk to people in Ohio and they sung the praises of Burrow. He just got beat out at Ohio State. His first year at LSU, though, I remember that Auburn game. He actually led him back, I think, to win. But he was like 13 for 30, you know, before the final drive. Well, he wasn't the guy he was as a senior, but they got the most out of him. So he had Burrow. He had a, a, an offensive line that, based on what I've been told, they weren't asking those boys to do what they're asking them to do at South Carolina and maybe even at LSU now. Uh, but they were good. And, you know, you looked at it, it was bombs away. And, and my buddy, who knows football, well, my buddy's a coach on the college level, <laughs> uh, said, look, LSU, all it is is a big old wide open spread. He's like, but when you're running that kind of thing, you you can't be afraid to go five wide on first down and let it rip. Now, I don't see that in South Carolina. I mean, it was probably because they don't have the personnel to do it. There's no way they have the – I mean, the receivers, Justin Steph's done an outstanding job of those guys, getting them better, but they don't, they don't have those guys. I mean, it'd almost be better if they did. Because then it's like, okay, this is what the future is going to be like. We're going to run it wide-ass open. Excuse my language. Uh, and, you know, we've got some tight ends and some receivers this year, but that, that personnel is going to get better. Luke Duddy's going to get better. Bombs away, right? You know, sorry that – we took over a program that's geared more for a power run game personnel-wise, but we're not going to sit here and pretend we're going to just boom. Uh, and, and I think you could live with that a little more, uh, honestly. I mean, I, the chances of success are not super high, but uh, at least you kind of get an idea. Uh, and so that's not happening. If you remember LSU in 2019, they had Edwards Hilaire at running back, really good running back. Um, but it wasn't like they'd line up and run it. They would they would chunk it all over the yard. Burrow would use his feet because I mean they everybody was just afraid of the big play with them. So then there's wide open space for Burrow to run. Uh, and then Edwards Hilaire would get the ball and dart up in there. And that, that's that was their run game, basically. Burrow and then dart up in there. And it was all predicated on vertical passing. Uh, and other teams backing off because they were just afraid because you had those receivers. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that you – know, I think South Carolina's got average – overall, I'd call that group average, maybe a little below compared to the rest of the SEC as a whole. But they got some players there. Josh Van, E.J. Jenkins, Jalen Brooks is playing better. I mean, Marion Brown doesn't get a deep ball for some reason. Um, so when you, when you mesh all this together and you look at the issues at LSU, um, and I've said this over the off season, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at Carolina, what happens at LSU, what happens at Vanderbilt and what happens at Kentucky, because all of those schools hired these guys, the, the, the wonderkin 
uh, younger guys off of uh, pro staffs where you, you have a guy that's a really good play caller, offensive mind. And Kentucky, obviously, is, what, 6-0? and you got Georgia this weekend. Uh, but if you notice, since Kentucky started SEC play, they've kind of gone back to what they did best, you know, with Eddie Grant and those guys. They're, they're lining up and running it because uh, that's what they're built to do. Uh, and I'm not saying Liam Cohen doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, the Rams obviously are different than maybe the Panthers or the, the, the Cardinals. Vanderbilt's guy did not even make it to the opening game before he was stripped of play calling duties. Uh, and they had another guy with college experience start calling it, and they've not been good and shut out, scored three against East Tennessee, that kind of thing. Um, so that's not gone extremely well in Nashville, uh, regardless of who's dialing them up right now. And, and I don't think they've changed back, but – that's sort of unprecedented. You, you got your guy you hire, and then he gets there, and through spring and summer, you realize this isn't going to work. And then you're bad anyway. And, and he came from the Cardinals, uh, sort of from the Cliff Kingsbury tree. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury is obviously a really good offensive coach, and, you know, he's made it work at Arizona in the pros. And, again, they're a little more complex and do a little bit different types of things than they did at Texas Tech. Um. And I don't know that if you're going to go air raid at Vandy, that that's going to be something that you can get to overnight. Maybe, maybe not. Mike Leach was the coach and you had a quarterback. Who knows? But uh, so there's that. And then you have LSU and their struggles. Orgeron's probably going to get fired. And they're good at throwing the ball. They ran it against Kentucky better. That, that was improved. But you get smoked 42-21 like that. I mean, there's just there's just something going on. And then you got Carolina and whatever has been happening at Carolina. So these experiments, obviously, you know, the exception of Liam Cohen, these experiments haven't exactly panned out. Now, who is good around? And, and I'll use another one more example of going from the NFL. So Chip Kelly at UCLA, they're finally, finally moving the ball this year. They've got a quarterback, I think, in his third year. You know, there were some dumpster fire moments. And, and you, if you watch UCLA before this season, you, you, and even this season, you know Chip Kelly wasn't doing anything like he was doing at Oregon because he'd been with the Eagles and the 49ers and he adapted it for the pro game. And it's taken three years to get that thing going. And it's Chip Kelly. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong, but because he was bound and determined to do it. And, uh, you know, I think after their hot start, they're just they've kind of come back to the pack a little bit, but uh, they're at least competitive and successful. Whereas before, they, they couldn't get anything going. Complex, com- complicated. NFL, In the NFL, you you could be that way. You got all day, you got all week. Your pros, you can just uh, you can just cut guys if they don't get it. You can go get other guys. I mean, it's it's all ball. And again, I am I'm sympathetic or empathetic or whatever you want to use. I'm uh I'm getting the fact that you know it, it's uh you know it's intriguing. 
Because if it works at the highest level, it should work against anybody. But you know what? There's just not enough time. These kids can't process it this fast. I've said many times on the offensive line, which is still confused, these guys are all all academic, all SEC, academic honor roll. There's two college graduates that, that start up there. Uh, the right tackle is one of the best student athletes in the entire athletic department. He's award-winning for his academic work. Um, you know, last year before the Ole Miss game, they put in an entire new blocking scheme and it worked. So they, they it's not just an academic, oh, these guys are book smart, but not football smart. No, that's not what's happening. These guys learned a whole new blocking scheme uh, before Ole Miss last year. You notice game guys got in the eye and Bobo talked about it. You know, he said, credit Coach Wolford and the offensive line for really getting it going and learning this in a week. And, you know, so it's not like these guys are unable to learn. And I don't think Greg Atkins, uh, you know, and, and look, his unit has been a, a big weak link, and, and I get the criticism of him, but I don't think he's forgotten how to teach football after 20-something years and a good offensive line at, at Marshall last year. But, you know, guys look confused, out of the ordinary. I mean, you know, if there were like culture problems over the summer or if they hadn't, you know, if they kind of inherited a bad locker room and guys just quit and didn't try and all that, I'd get it too. I'd be like, well, they just got to wait and recruit and get their guys in because these guys have some bad habits or whatever, but these are all proven players. Okay. And, uh, you know, so that's an issue. One more issue, then I'm going to get to what actually does work or what seems to work. Um, you know, you see things that, that they put in that you go, that's smart. You know, like the use of Trey Jones at fullback, getting in the eye a little bit because Kevin Harris is good at that. But <laughs> – you can't just run it once and then not go back to it and do this, that, and the other. I mean, it, it just – there's no rhyme or reason. Okay, you got a fullback. You're going to get in the eye and let Harrison Lloyd eat a little bit. Let him eat. Let him eat. You know, maybe don't put Doty under center in a critical situation after you screwed the pooch on the last drive, though, because he's not used to it. And he fumbles. You know, maybe maybe you should have taken uh, dialed up something different there. You know, and and I think Doty's going to have to be under center some. You know, moving forward. But you know, I like that Trey Jones is a guy that you know wasn't getting playing time on the offensive line, but out of high school he ran four seven. He ran a four two shuttle at a forty inch vertical. He's a great athlete. So if anybody at three hundred pounds can play fullback. Is this guy brilliant? I think great, great idea. Well, <laughs> didn't uh, you know? Didn't ever go back to it, you know. So, I mean, what are you what are you doing to build off of a play? You know, what are you doing to set something else up? And and I just don't see any of that. You know, and and look, people can say all they want, and there's some truth to it. Well, if you can't get any blocking, no play is going to look good. Yeah, but you know what? Whose fault is it that the offensive line is confused? Because, folks, that's exactly what it is. People get you can talk to me all you want about, oh, they weren't really that good last year. 
Well, probably average, middle of the pack SEC. Uh, but you look at the the actual facts, and last year when Carolina couldn't run the ball, it was usually because like Missouri loaded the box. And then Colin Hill had a stinker in the first half, awful. And, of course, he got benched, and that was the end of Colin Hill. Um, but Missouri, you know, they, they kind of ran a – you know, they had six guys up there around the line of scrimmage. They were not going to let Kevin Harris beat them. Other than that, you know, Georgia, defensive line just overwhelmed them. Their entire defense did. And Carolina played no defense that night. Uh, and then A&M just really destroyed them on the line of scrimmage. You know, other than that, Carolina was able to get holes, run the football. They were very methodical. The passing game left a lot to be desired. You know, pass protection was below average to average at times. You know, it was kind of like a 33-33-33 thing when, when they'd have sacks. Sometimes Hill held on to it. Sometimes the offensive line would get overwhelmed. Sometimes a back would miss a block. Sometimes a receiver would run the wrong route. I mean, the, the passing game obviously wasn't all that good. But you do have a run game, and you have everybody back. And, hey, that's a start. And I think that's what everybody was excited about. Hey, you know, passing game may be a work in progress, but they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit, which is great, especially against a team like Tennessee where you need to keep their offense off the field. But, you know, you, you either have to run it and keep them off the field or you have to be able to match a team like that. People should know that from all those years. South Carolina played Clemson and beat them under Spurrier, and they were running 90 miles an hour under Chad Morris. How did how did South Carolina beat? Look at the time of possession in those games. So, look, bottom line is it's not working. And Shane Beamer's got to fix it. I don't know what he's going to do to fix it. But I'll tell you, he's not a pushover or a dummy or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll just give that to him. I know some of you were frustrated that his, you know, public comments have been positive, but he's a positive energy guy and he's not going to handle business over through the media. And no matter what you want, and I know in this social media world, we all want, oh, uh, to, uh, you know, get the pitchforks out and have a, you know, a public execution. I get it. That's not going to happen. And it doesn't matter if it happens. It, it, what, what, the only thing that matters is how does he respond? And I just don't know that necessarily, you know, the right move would be to change in midstream. I mean, I, that's, that's my gut feeling as to what should happen if you're going to try to save the season. But then you're handing it off. Uh, you're handing off a complicated situation or offense that you've practiced for, you know, six weeks or ten weeks plus spring, twelve weeks, and tried to install all summer uh, to someone that hasn't called that kind of system. At the same time, as I've said before, the play designs are good. So somebody else has more of a feel and rhythm for it. Maybe you do. Maybe you can get it done. If you got about 12, 13 plays that you're really good at, you scale it back. Somebody has some rhythm, starts calling it. You know, good play callers also run things that work until you stop it. Steve Spurrier used to say that. 
And I don't, I, I'm, I'm, it's unfair to sit here and talk about Steve Spurrier as a play caller, no matter who comes in here. But, you know, bottom line is, and, 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 you know, last year was hard to tell that Bobo was doing well calling plays, but he was. Nobody wanted to believe me at the time. But I think you, you saw he got what he could out of that group last year. Um, so, you know, since Spurrier left, with the exception of Mangus calling the offense the, the last half of 2015, there's been a lot of issues. And so Spurrier, the last good play caller, and you know, a lot of lot of talk about him calling plays during uh his career here too, because he'd hand it off or whatnot, uh, which didn't work most of the time. You know, until there is good play calling here, it's gonna be an issue. Cause his, you know, uh, his uh I guess offense and, and, and ability. Uh, that was the last time you know people saw uh, an issue where offensive coaching was not an issue. Now it's not to say that there hadn't been good offenses. Twenty, the twenty eighteen offense outscored some teams shootout wise. Had a lot of good players on that team. Should have been better. You know, should have been better. But you know, it's not like there hadn't been a game where Carolina could score. But that's not really what you're talking about, um, results. You know, what you're talking about now is systemic issues that prevent results from happening. And, look, I'm not saying Carolina would have won the game Saturday with better play calling. I'm saying it would have been a different game. Win or lose, different game. Kentucky, win or lose, different game. You know, because, you know, you can't score, (laughs) you know – Offenses are too good these days. Vanderbilt, they can't score at all. They're coming in here Saturday. South Carolina can't score either. You know, just like Troy could have or East Carolina could have, Vanderbilt could easily win. 16-13 type of game. Because, you know, if your offense is sputtering, they get good field position, they kick some field goals, and then all of a sudden all it takes is one breakdown in the secondary you give up a long touchdown pass, and then you still can't score. That's you're you're completely screwed. And Clark Lee's a pretty good defensive coach. You know that's the reality. South Carolina's got his 16 point favorite, overwhelming, I think, advantage in this football game. They've dominated Vandy, won a lot of games in a row, which kind of scares you a little bit. But uh, you know, it's uh, if you can't score, you can't score. So there's issues with the offense, and things need to change. That's the bottom line. And uh, you know, I've I've laid out those reasons why. So what does work? Well, you look around the league, and right now, the Art Briles coaching tree influence is working. Josh Heupel from Tennessee still never been sold on Heupel as a head coach, but I'll tell you this. You know, the time he started adapting some of Bryles's, uh principles in his offense, kind of started at Missouri. He hired Jeff Levy, who's now at Ole Miss when he was at Central Florida. You know, to me, that's made his offense a lot better because at Oklahoma and in part of the way in Missouri, it's just kind of a, a spread where he'd throw it all around the field. No you know, running game was just kind of – Missouri had good backs, so they'd run it against bad teams, but it, it, it wasn't like what they're doing at Tennessee which actually is simpler as far as install and putting it in um, and more versatile 
than uh, just about any other system in college. So there's that. Uh, and you look at uh, Lebby, who's now at Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin, and they're kind of they're built a little different. But again, it's a versatile scheme. They're built a little different than Tennessee because they got good receivers and Matt Corral at quarterback, but they can still run the ball. And you know, Kiffin and Levy are running it, and they've got some Kiffin in it. They've got some Browse in it. They got some Levy. I mean, it's there's a reason, you know. And uh, then the team they played Saturday, 52-51, was Arkansas. And Kendall Browse is running that, and that's that's different too, but it's the same thing. Man, KJ Jefferson running the football, and it's a uh, it's a it's a really good scheme. So so that's working. And I think what Dan Mullen does at Florida works, but there's only one Dan Mullen. You know, when he handed it off to Adazio under Urban Meyer, you know, there was a big difference there production-wise with Tim Tebow his final year. Um, you know, you kind of look at Mississippi State, they don't, you know, under Moorhead for a little while, they didn't run the same thing. So – you know, there's only one Dan Mullen. I mean, you, you got Brian Johnson who went to the Eagles, but he's a guy that worked for a guy. And again, you, you kind of look at the guys that have been in the pros and they come back with all these ideas and it doesn't work. And I'm not saying never hire anybody from the pros, um, but you have to have uh, enough foresight and understanding for the college game to say these are college kids still, regardless of. NIL and all that, you know, you have to have enough understanding to say, we don't have all week, you know, all day, all week to be extremely complex. Um, You know, we've got to be able to teach it. You know, it's about teaching. Coaching is teaching in a lot of ways. Uh, Look at the defensive side of the ball at South Carolina right now. Um, You know, Torrey and Gray, there's a guy that's a great teacher. Clayton White's a great teacher. Uh, Jimmy Lindsay's a fantastic teacher. Mike Peterson, great teacher and mentor. Defense, lost how many guys that uh, are going to play in the NFL, especially in the secondary? Uh, and I know it was a bad game Saturday, but you, what are you going to do when your offense can't score and you're gassed and your team's demoralized by – just silliness inside the three yard line when you finally got some momentum for the first time all season on the ground. I mean, that, that's, uh, I don't, I don't care how focused and fired up the, the, the players are and how, how, you know, their competitive spirit uh, is. Cause I, I do think this team still has a lot of competitive spirit. They haven't, you know, they don't hang their head. They haven't given up. They fought hard. But that you're human. You can't help but be demoralized there. And your defense is gassed. And you're like, well, you know, touchdown makes it 14-7. And so there's all this chaos going on around you. The crowd's in the game. Tennessee's going up and down the field. Uh, and you scores 14-7 all of a sudden. And it's, you're like, all right, we're all right. You know, and that's the teams that have beaten Tennessee this year. Pitt and Florida, they responded. And you know what? That that helped them momentum-wise. And you know what? Tennessee's offense kind of stalled. You know, the pit ended up being 41-34. I think it was 10-0 Tennessee. Pitt scores 24 straight points. Right? 
Tennessee came back and, and fought hard, but you know, they got they seized the momentum. And that's exactly what you have to do against a tempo team like that. That's everybody knows that. I mean, look at the times, even uh, under Muschamp, where Carolina played Missouri and won. You know, those games actually were good offensive games uh, for the Gamecocks. 31 in 2016, 31 out there the next year, 37-35 in the rain. Michael Skarnacki a game. I mean, that's how you beat a team like that. You either outscore them or you're – you know, your offense becomes your defense in a lot of ways. Nobody seemed to want to figure that out on Saturday. I mean, it's like – you know, you, you don't have all the time in the world. So the, the Mullen offense works, but who do you get? You know, and then there's some other guys out there that style-wise that I think would work in the Southeastern Conference. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think that Shane Beamer, when he was talking about what he wanted, hit the nail on the head as far as you have to have something that you can adapt to your players because you're not going to have the players all the time. And, you know, like Lincoln Riley's offense at Oklahoma is like that. Some years we have this, some years we have that. I, I think what maybe where the, the disconnect was is, you know, you can look at all that on paper. You can go back six years and say, well, I've called plays before. You can take recommendations from whoever. And that's all smart and well and good. But you don't know until you know if a guy, when you're in the arena, that's another must champism. <laughs> when you're in the game, you know, you, you don't, you never coached with a guy before you, you know him, but you don't know what he's going to do. And you just don't know until you know. Uh, and so the best thing to do is, <laughs> you know, get a guy that during the game has proven, hey, look, he can, he can, you know, stick a stick a dagger in a defense with with um, play calls, and I and I think at South Carolina, folks, let's be realistic. You're never going to have overwhelming talent. I think you can get to the point where your your top thirty is just as good as everybody else's, and then it comes down to coaching. But you've always got to have a strategic advantage. You know, and prep, preferably you're a special prep. Okay. It's preferably people go, oh, God, we have to, we have to freaking prepare for South Carolina. Because every time South Carolina's had a good offense, you know, it's either with Spurrier there, or, you know, and um, Skip Holtz's tenure as the, the OC, you know, that was, a, that was a little bit different type of deal. You go all the way back to the run and shoot and the veer under Joe Morrison, Brad Scott's offenses until he mistakenly hired Chuck Reedy, uh, were very tough. It was a fast break, meets whatever. Uh, so you've always – when Carolina's been good, they've been creative. It's like when they haven't been good, you know, you, you've had either massive personnel issues like Bobo had last year. Uh, and Bobo's offense isn't overly creative. I mean, it's uh, he's, he's a good play caller. Um, and there's stuff he likes to do that can really, you know, move the ball, you know, but it, you, you don't sit there and go, oh, well, this is, this is really difficult to defend. There's all this eye candy and stuff. Um, once you go back to Spurrier, you know, how did Spurrier evolve? Well, they added the App State run game on top of the carry, you know, game cop passing game. 
kind of a GA Mangus thing there. That's what he likes to do. And then you got Marcus Lattimore, so you can start running it. And then you had Brandon Wilds and Mike Davis behind him and good receivers. But make no mistake, the head ball coach was dialing them up. And that mattered. <laughs> There's a lot of good defensive coordinators got their head handed to him, handed to them by him, uh, not just at Florida, even though the, you know, maybe they didn't put up 63 points or whatever, like the Gators did routinely. But there were some football games where the, the guy on the other sideline was just like, man, I just can't believe that. <laughs> and so, I, and look, do you have to have Steve Spurrier calling plays to be good at South Carolina? No. But I think you do have to have guys that um, that uh, can give you an advantage. And, you know, <laughs> I think that <clears throat> when Mangus took over in 2015 – and I'm not before people say it, I'm not advocating for for Mangus to come back or anything like that. I you know that that would be something that I wouldn't think would be a terrible idea. But Shane Beamer's gotta make this call whichever way he wants to do it. He's the head coach, right? Um, but you know, Mangus has a system. Zone read, fun and gun over the top of it. Special prep. Uh, ask Brent Venables <laughs> uh, that 2015 game, you know, if Carolina gave them problems play calling wise, uh, you know, you go back to Spurrier and the way he called it. And it was obvious during that era when he was calling it and when he wasn't or when Mangus was calling it versus junior. I mean, that was a very fascinating dynamic. Look at the Carolina offense between when Skip called it and Lou decided to take the reins. I mean, way different. Way different. Uh, back to Brad Scott mentioned the Chuck Reedy disaster. And midway through that season, Brad Scott was back running the fast break, trying to save his job, but he should have known better, right? So, you know, when has Carolina ever been good on offense or as a team when they haven't been somewhat of a special prep? Uh, and then, obviously, on defense, they've never been good when they haven't had a defense. I mean, you've had – Two teams where the offense was really, really good and the defense was not. Uh, that was in 95. They finished 4-6-1. and one. And also in 2014, 7-6, and six, three, blow, three blown leads. Uh, and they could have won the East. So, you know, th- this program in the footprint, there's a lot of defensive talent across the board. Uh, that you can get to South Carolina and you can play really good, tough defense. You got to be kind of blue collar on your defensive uh, approach. And I think Clayton White's got the right idea. Simplified scheme, but it's aggressive and fun for the kids to play. That's what they need to do on offense. And it's not, it's just not on offense right now. And um, look, Carolina comes out, lights it up the rest of the year, turns the season around. I'm not going to back off of that. I'll probably shut up, but I'm not going to change my my tune because I've seen enough. I've seen enough. And what happens when you get new players in here and it takes them half the year to get everything right? I don't know. You know, maybe I would accept that if there was, you know, you could tell there was more of a feel to the play calls. 
Uh, and like I've said er, uh, many, many times, play calling is much more at the college level about art than engineering. If you, you want to use those analogies, uh, I think NFL, maybe it's more the opposite because you just have to have, you know, you have to have an answer for every single thing. And not only that, you know, you can't just have your standard answer because the players are too good or the talent's too good on the, and the coaches are too good to counter it. And so you're going up there with a bunch. I mean, there's, there's a reason why Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are so good. Uh, or Peyton Manning was so good and Tom Brady's so good. It's not that, you know, these guys are bigger, stronger, faster, have the better arm. They've had good arms, don't get me wrong. But it's their knowledge and their ability to get the entire offense in the right situation against the, the right the right call against the defense um, and to pick people apart and to know where you're going and all that. But that that's what makes good NFL offenses. And, yeah, there's been a lot of – and I, I was wrong about this, you know, because, uh, you know, I felt for sure, hey, the concepts in the NFL are great and creative now. So it's been a like an offensive renaissance in that league as far as, the you know, some of these younger guys that are calling ball plays and have good offenses, and, and that's the trend. And they've been more innovative than college in a lot of ways. You know, then Brady going to LSU and doing that. Wow, you know, shoot, that's the trend. I was wrong. Um, I think the trends and the concepts are great. But if you can't call it and you can't teach it, they ain't gonna go, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and that's the bottom line right now, folks, unfortunately. Uh, you know, there's other issues, like I mentioned, you know, but uh, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Too complicated, can't call it. And that's what's, uh, that's what's going on. So it is time for the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. And I want to tell you about iHelp Consulting. Uh, I've told you about Daniel Owens many, many times. He can save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, all that good stuff without sacrificing quality. And so I'm going to tell you how it works, right? Because you, you, you're probably sitting there going, gosh, do we have to, you know, I, I, I don't want to hear about consultants because they're too expensive and all that. And believe me, look, I work in local radio. Sometimes you look at these consultants and they don't know their butt from a hole in the ground. But that's not what's happening here with iHealth Consulting. I promise you, I'll give you my word. So it's simple how it works. It's not like the radio guy's going to come in and, you know, your ratings are high and they're going to base something off some survey. They said, play more Prince on the classic rock station. And then you play Prince or you play Diana Ross because they want to kind of mix it up because some kind of survey somewhere or something told them that's what people wanted to hear. And it's dead wrong. And your phone lines are jammed with complaints all day. That's radio consulting in a nutshell. Uh, worked in that business a couple of times. Know some people that do. I think it's idiotic. But. That's not what iHelp Consulting does. They're there to help your business, right? And so it's simple. You call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call, face-to-face -face meeting. He's very respectful of your time. And then he's going to look. He's going to break down your business and see where savings may be. He's going to let you know if you're paying junk fees, if your rates are too high. I'm like, okay, JC, that sounds good. But, you know, how much is this going to cost? Well, how do they get paid? So you may think, 
Well, they may save me three grand, but they may charge me four and I lose a thousand dollars. Fair, definitely. But that's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. That's right. So in other words, if you save four grand, you get to keep a great portion of that. And, you know, then you pay Daniel out of how much you save. And not only that, if he breaks it down, he can't save you any money. You don't owe him a dime. So he, he, he works for free until he can save you money. So call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713. And please give him a shot if you're a business owner. You won't regret it, I promise. I help consulting. How can I help you? Proud sponsors of the I help consulting mailbag. All right. So there's two ways to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. First of all, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. And um, lots of these. Gamecock Fan 3 is the first one in, and he did it live in the game. JC, this tweet is coming right after the Birch interception, followed by 21 nothing. I feel like that's all I need to say. I don't even know what my question is this week. I have so many of them, but can't articulate any of them. I'll just say I love the show and thanks. You know, I had a similar um, uh, stunned feeling, I guess, after the game or after that play. Um, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, because you go from so much like, you know, I guess renewed feelings of confidence about the run game. Kevin Harris looked like he did last year. He got some big runs from Lloyd and Juju and all that. And boy, you just can't mess it up any worse than inside the three. I, I just I don't understand what the thought process was there. Um, even if you like the calls, a more appropriate time would have been third or fourth down. At least try to get it in. If you wanted to throw it in, which, by the way, here's another complaint I have. Uh, and it doesn't make much sense. They're not giving the run game even a chance when they get down close. Think back to – we haven't seen Carolina get in the red zone in a while very often, right? But think back to the Eastern Illinois game. Zeb Nolan has four touchdown passes in the first half. They're not even trying to run it in against that bunch. So so this is this is a trend all year. It's like, you know, shoot, I, I, don't, I don't know of a single – play caller out there that intentionally tries to chunk it in the end zone when they're that close, you know, look, Steve Spurrier, you hate to keep bringing him up, but you guys are familiar with him. Loved nothing more than to throw touchdown passes. Nothing more. Yeah. Especially if you got to the 2025, the ball's going in the end zone. It's you, you knew it. Right. But when he got down there inside the five, Yes, there were sometimes he had to pull a little bootleg out of his butt and whatever and chunk it in. He didn't like doing it, though, and he complained. This guy, you know, there's a reason Zeb Nolan had four touchdown passes against Eastern Illinois. Uh, and so you think about that, you know, and think about there's the touchdown against Georgia was a long throw. They got in the red zone against Kentucky, and they had to – they threw it. They didn't even waste time. They threw it in. Had that not been a beautiful – I mean, again, play design's fine. Beautiful play design to uh, Jalen Brooks, and he caught it. But had that been dropped or picked off, I think you call that into question. You know, Troy, there was uh, a lot of passing when they got down close. Um, 
EJ Jenkins pass was that was at the right part of the field. Uh, and then, you know, so, so, you, so you really haven't seen them inside the five uh, except Kentucky, and they threw it in, and they they try to throw it in against Eastern Illinois. So this is a trend. They, they're not even they don't even try. I mean, and, and if it hadn't been for the EIU game, you, you maybe think, well, they've been getting stuff. But you know that team, you should be able to line up in power and run it in. And and, and so that so that so you look at it. That's that's how it's actually happened all year with uh, with the play calling. Um, so anyway, thanks, Gamecocks man three. All right, T. T says, first of all, feel free to call me T. I could write a novel about the play calling from first to goal, but I'll spare you. What's frustrating is how it seems like Satterfield will find something that works in one game, usually when it's too late for the win, but then he never sees it again. He stubbornly starts every game as if his system has not been a mess. I know every week is different, but I feel like if he would use everything that actually worked over the last six games, we'd have a half of a decent, decent offense. Am I totally off? I don't. I don't think you are. I, I do think they. Tr- you know, I, I do think that again, like against Troy, for the first time all year, you're getting Doty out of the pocket. I think you. You know, and then you look at it, and they tried to do it against Tennessee, and from the get go, you saw Tennessee had a guy out there, right? So obviously, they have coaches too that watch film. They see this, and they're like, "Well, you got to watch Doty on the run because." They're trying to get him a cleaner pocket or whatever because he's, you know, they have issues with, with the pocket. And so that didn't work. But I, I think you have to, like, you know, counter that, right? I, I would think, right? You, you have to think that they're going to prepare for that, right? Um, so what do you do? I mean, do you put a fullback out there to block when you're booting him out? I don't know. But there was no idea there at all. And uh, what's crazy about it is you finally started to run the ball, and then, you know, you never went back to that. So I don't think you're totally off. I do think that, you know, what you have to do week to week is make subtle adjustments into what you're doing that works to make sure that, you know, okay, well, here's how they're going to try to stop this. So here's what we're going to do to counter. Um and then you try it, and you see what they're doing. And you're like, okay, well, it's time to do this instead of just, oh, well, we're going to get away from it or whatever. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot to, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to be desired. Okay, uh, and T goes on and says, what seemed to work today, having running backs follow a fullback, running it when you're inside the five, an offensive genius should know that. Yeah, and like I said, surprisingly enough. This hadn't happened all year running it inside the five. They haven't been inside the five a lot, but they, you know, they chucked it around against Eastern Illinois, four touchdown passes in the first half from Zeb Nolan. Uh, and then you had Doty's pass to Brooks against Kentucky. Uh, they weren't really inside the five at all against Troy and then Saturday. And then they got inside the 10 with Kevin Harris from the six, and he runs it in the end zone, lo and behold. Uh, finally getting the ball to Bell. Yeah, Jaheim Bell needs the ball, man. I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest. Instead of DeCarry and Joyner, if Jaheim Bell had taken the direct snap, I've, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. Because getting the ball to Bell has worked this year. So even if it hadn't have worked, I'd have probably defended it. All right, Ricky Steamboat. 
He says, J.C. Beamer, I think at the end of the second, was quoted as trying to keep up with Tennessee's tempo. When we were getting absolutely blasted on those long drives, he never used any first-quarter timeouts. Must Jam wouldn't use strategic first-half timeouts either. Why do you think that is? Seems like some timeouts could have helped the defense settle in, especially when I noticed multiple times Tennessee would snap the ball while we had defenders looking at our sideline. Maybe, you know, I – Probably, you know, you could have taken a timeout to break the tempo. Uh, I think the bigger issue was they weren't, you know, how Tennessee attacked Carolina. They, you know, like I said, they went on the perimeter. And I understand keeping the guys back. I'm not one of these people that, like, gripes all the time when you're playing off coverage because when you play off coverage, you know, that usually means you're, you're, you're trying to limit the big play. You're playing a tempo team. Even if they drive the ball down the field, they get a short field. You know, sometimes those teams can't. I, I get it. But what needed to happen was once they started attacking the perimeter is these guys needed to come up quicker and close faster, and they didn't. And that gets to that gets to talent, athleticism, and all that more so than scheme. They walked them up a little bit the second half, and defensive line started playing. And, you know, even though Tennessee wasn't going as fast, I, I did think South Carolina's defense redeemed itself somewhat. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Beamer could have called a timeout. That's one of those things. Um, I, you know, I, I think some co- different coaches have different philosophies. Uh, I could go back in time, every coach at South Carolina and probably everywhere else. And one of the biggest complaints is the use of timeouts in football. I get it. There's different philosophies about it and all that. Um, and so, yeah, you can make, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, Ricky. I, I really don't. I think, uh, I think it's kind of a preference more so than, you know, something that's a strategic error. Thomas Brady. Okay, so disappointing weekend of football, not going to lie. What do we do different on defense in the second half that made such a difference? I didn't notice the change, only the results, but I'm not a football tactician. Neither am I. Um, They played closer to the line of scrimmage. South Carolina's D-line got some penetration. They tackled better on the perimeter. You know, and Tennessee wasn't going quite as fast. But, you know, I I don't want to short credit the defense and their effort in the second half. Those guys didn't quit. I think they were demoralized like everybody on the team after the debacle inside the three. That happens to football teams. You know, we, we think, well, the defense shouldn't care about Well, the defense cares about the offense. It's a team game. You know, you score there, and then you kick it down the field. And Tennessee's got, you know, they got to go 70-something yards again. And, of course, they did. But uh, you've got to uh, – you've got some momentum. Even if they score again, 21-7. You know, Tennessee this year, when teams have responded to them, they have not been a second-half football team. You know, they kept scoring against Missouri, but everybody has. You you look at the games they've lost, again, Florida dominates the second half. Pitt dominates the second half and wins the game. You know, even if they they get out of score against 21-7, all right, get it back on offense. Here's what's working. Let's go do the same thing. And you're in at half 21-14 or so, you know. I mean, and you're in striking distance. And then the game kind of levels out, right? But none of that. Um, but I, I think the, the DBs are playing a little closer. They tackled better, you know, played better. Encouraging second half, in my opinion. 
Preston says, hey, JC, I'm a huge fan. I'm a driver, and I listen to your podcast while driving during my day. Always makes it go by faster. I wanted to give Satterfield more time, but the first goal line sequence this weekend made me sick. What percentage do you have him to return next season? Preston, I I get questions like this all the time. I don't – I'm not going to answer and put a number on it right now because, look, I'm – I – I think it's a dumpster fire, right? And I've made my opinion known on that, and I've given my reasons why. And I'm not alone. You know, I'm not just standing out here wanting to fire people because of a disappointing result or a disappointing moment in a game. I'm looking at the body of work, and I'm looking at the why, not just the the who and the what, but the why. And the why is very disappointing, and quite frankly, no excuse for it, right? And so, uh, but but look, six games left. Hypothetically, what happens if Gamecocks start to click? You know, even then, I think you're like, well, what the hell happened the first six games? And it reinforces what I've said, that things are too complicated. Should, I mean, and then what happens when you get new players in and they can't learn it that fast? So, you know, should never take half a season. But – you know, if they turn it around, end up having a successful year, win games, uh, you know, there's probably not a chance that there'll be a change. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think I've been pretty clear about where I stand. Um, and, and, yeah, the goal line thing did it for me. I also, though, it was before that where I started going, man, this is just not good. Um, what did it for me was Lloyd up the middle for nine, goes through a hole, you know, that guy's about to break one, right? And then you just go completely away from it. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand that. I understand that. Joe Sports Caller, what football reason should we have to win six? To me, just being honest, I don't see a path. I don't see a path here either right now. I will say if South Carolina can find a way to get better on offense and then – you know, the defense obviously can't give up a bunch of rushing yards again. That's got to tighten up. I also believe that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to play some better offensive teams like Florida. But so you got to tighten up a little bit. Also, you know, I think the defense in some ways could play the best that they can, you know. And, and I think if you look at defensive personnel, I think they're missing Sherrod Green at linebacker a little bit. I almost wish they'd, you know, Mokaba plays the same spot as Brad Johnson. I almost wish they'd split those guys. Uh, right now, uh, Damani Staley, I think, is playing some of the best football of his career, but Damani's a step slow. You know, let's be honest. Now, you're not going to play a Tennessee team that's going a million miles an hour, but that could be a liability against the better athletes they play. So, you know, there's always a path. There's always a way forward. I'm not that confident. Uh, but you got Missouri and Vanderbilt on the schedule. Those are certainly winnable. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with Auburn and Clemson at home. Those two teams are not offensive juggernauts. Uh, I think it's the teams that can score that hurt you. And, and I mentioned Missouri, and so that, you know, that sucks because they can still score, and that, that's a bad matchup uh, on paper. But their defense is so bad, guys. I, you know, that's a game it's going to take a – you know, to get blown out like they did at Tennessee is going to take just some coaching malpractice of epic proportions because they're unless unless Missouri gets better on defense. 
Um, and it is out there, so maybe they don't. You know, I don't know. I said you know, one of the first orders of business for Beamer is to flip the Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri series. So there's only one more chance. It's out Columbia, Missouri, Como. But, you know, by the time that comes around, look, man, you're out there, and if they continue to go bad, they got A&M this weekend at home, which it wouldn't shock me completely, man, if uh, if they beat them. Uh, just because A&M had a magical moment. But, you know, you got to go out there and in November, and if they're not doing well, they don't have a crowd that shows up. I mean, it gets ugly. Which, by the way, Gamecock fans, don't – if you boycott the game because you were mad about Marcus Satterfield being the OC, that does nobody any good. Shane Beamer's not getting fired this year, folks. Neither is Ray Tanner. Okay, if you're mad, you know, I understand about the OC. I understand. It's tough to watch. But, and look, whatever you do with your time is your business and your money. I'm never, not ever going to criticize anybody for that. But if you're just mad and say you're going to stay home and boycott because you need to send a message, you're not doing anything but hurting the program. I mean, that's, you know, you, you – you continue to build your program through recruiting, and the only thing that hurts is recruiting. When you see half-empty stadium, you know, it doesn't send a message. Nobody's going to sit there and go, oh, my God, nobody showed up. So, gosh, they got to make go. – let's go make all these changes. You know, that's not going to happen. Now, if that happens over time along with the bad performance, Sure. I happened at Arkansas when Chad Morris was there, but we're way far away from that, folks. So, you know, and I'm not Pollyanna, Sunshine, and all that. I'm just giving you the facts that it's misplaced when you just simply don't show up because you're pissed off about an offensive coordinator. Right? It doesn't help. Uh, people ask me all the time, well, wait, no recruit's going to come play in this system. or No, you're thinking, you know, fan – Recruits don't think like fans, okay? You're thinking like a fan. The thing that will turn off recruits, half-empty stadium. Because that's the one thing they don't want to do, playing in front of nobody. Uh, people often wonder one of the big issues of basketball and basketball recruiting is that the arena is too cavernous. They don't do a good job of uh, – facilitating the actual people that show up, which are the, the numerous people, <laughs> you know, total attendance is top 20 in the country every year. And they don't do a good job of putting those guys in the seats and, and big time players will come in and visit nobody. And it looks like nobody comes to see him play, you know, and that's an issue with that sport that, you know, I, I don't have the answer as to how that gets resolved. Football is different. Gamecock fans always show up for football. Need a good crowd Saturday, you know, regardless. Now, if you got something else to do, you don't want to spend the money because you don't have the money, you don't, you know, you don't want to spend the time because you'd rather stay at home and watch stay, watch it on TV. That's fine, but 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 don't sit there and act like you know you're you're facilitating change, uh, you know, like you're a like you're a protester or something uh by doing that, because you're not. That you're part of the, it, it empties, and I'm not saying you personally are part of the problem, but I'm saying that 
boycotts and things of that nature are part of the problem and not the solution. Nobody gives a crap if you don't show up other than recruits that are seeing empty seats and aren't going to come to your school. And then things are never going to get better. Um, so that's how I feel about the, 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 the few folks out there. And there's only a couple that are protesting the game, your opinion, or are you protesting by not showing up means Jack squat. Okay. And, and it's, it just compounds a problem uh, because it hurts recruiting. All right. Second way to get in the mailbag. Um, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Jeremy says, JC, I've noticed for the class of 22 in the state of South Carolina, there's quite a few guys committed to pretty good power five programs. I trust your evaluation judgment. So I'm wondering what is your take on some of these players? Uh, I'll start with CJ Stokes. Um, Fast running back, like him, don't love him, understand why the Gamecocks sort of passed at the time. Uh, and, and he's also a guy – and, look, he's probably going to do a pretty good job at Michigan, I think. I mean, there, there's kind of a – but, you know, a lot of guys from South Carolina, Adam Patterson, Quentin Washington, uh, have gone to Michigan and – flamed out. Then you got guys like JT Floyd that started and played and junior Hemingway. If you'd asked me of the guys that over the years have gone to Michigan, if, um, you know, junior Hemingway, JT Floyd, and then Adam Patterson, Quentin Washington. And, uh, gosh, was there another one? I think there's only four. Okay. Who would have panned out? I'd have said Washington probably would be an all-Big Ten guard. Patterson will be an all-Big Ten defensive end. And the other two I've got questions about, and then it, it flipped. So that's that. All right, so here, here's the deal. I'll go through these. Uh, Jaden Lucas, Clemson, that was sort of done a long time ago. North Carolina made a move. But, you know, look, he's from Malden. You know, right there, a stone's throw from Clemson's ICAR campus. I lived in Greenville. Any of these Greenville County guys were going to be hard to get for South Carolina, just given the shape of the program and the fact Clemson wanted them. Jalen Sneed going to Notre Dame. His coach loves to see his kids go to the Midwest, out of state. Even, even guys that the in-states pass on that transfer. If you remember Eastern Illinois – Saying kid from Hilton Head, you know, was at Purdue, couldn't cut it there. Transfers within the Midwest. I don't know why. I think the guy is from Ohio somewhere. But, you know, he loves kids to go far away. Notre Dame is a great school. It's a great opportunity. I don't blame anybody for going to Notre Dame if it's for you. But there was no chance for South Carolina. I mean, they talked to his mom. She was interested. There wasn't even a visit, man. And this has happened over and over and over. Remember Puna Ford went to Texas? This has happened over and over and over. There's something, I mean, you know, really, for that to ever change down there, the school board's going to have to, you know, say, look, you know, you don't have to tell the players to go in state, but, you don't need to work against them, and it'd be nice if you just got him to visit. But if you got him to visit, maybe he'd want to stay close to home. So Gamecock staff tried. They felt they were in good shape, but just like with Ford, 
No dice. Adam Randall from Myrtle Beach. Things look pretty good for the Gamecocks for a while. North Carolina was strong. Clemson offers. He goes there. He's a receiver. Uh, Colin Sadler, Greenville High School offensive lineman, same way. I don't know why Nick Williams is rated sixth in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, he's not a player that either in-state school wants. Nick Emanwari is going to Carolina. C.J. Stokes. Kyle Horton, Eli Henderson, offensive lineman from Burns, is going to Arkansas. Going to be interesting to see what happens with him. I think I like South Carolina's three offensive linemen they've got. Eli committed to Arkansas really early. Sam Pittman personally recruited him. I get it. Deuce Caldwell is kind of a tweener linebacker safety type going to North Carolina. Kind of fits their defense. Gamecocks never offered. Jaden McGowan going to uh, – Vanderbilt, he's South Carolina passed because he's just too small. Fast guy, just too small. Uh, DJ Jackson going to NC State. Uh, weird situation there. I, I don't know that he felt he could play at Carolina. Uh, Xavier Chapman, Chaplin from Whale Branch is 370 pounds. Going to Virginia Tech, uh, you know, this is the type of guy, if you can get the weight off of him, he can end up being really good. Um, Quan Peterson going to Syracuse, I think he's really good. But Carolina's got a lot of defensive backs. Um, and the issue with this guy is, you know, great in coverage, probably not as physical as you need for the SEC or really anywhere. Teach, you, teach him how to tackle at Syracuse will be fine. I don't know why Arizona State took Robbie Harrison – I get it, though. You're not going to find guys. You know, you need to probably come south and get some guys. Uh, opinions not really high on him, I guess. Bennett Galloway running back from Chapin going to NC State. And then I think that's it. So, you know, of all the guys that are going out of state to Power 5 schools, you know, Deuce Caldwell and Eli Henderson are interesting because they're both good football players. And you kind of look at Caldwell, you're like, well, he's a twinner. I understand, but, you know, can he plug into – and you don't know if North Carolina, what's going to happen up there on defense or not. I think with Jay Bateman, he can plug into that system. I think Eli Henderson, something about him, but, again, he's been committed to Arkansas for a long time. Not a problem with Stokes leaving, um, although Carolina's gone and watched him a couple of times in Hammond. Uh, and then Sneed, I told you about that. So the, the guy that you got left is Antonio Williams. It's going to be, you know, important, I think, for the Gamecocks to get him. Thanks for the question, Jeremy. In-state recruiting, I always like talking recruiting. Justin says, JC, why can't we have a good offense like other teams? So many SEC teams have good offenses in year one, but we haven't had a good offense for seven years. Also, you'd be against against. Beamer's culture of sticking by your brother to fire Satterfield midway through the season. Thanks for all you do, Mr. White. That's interesting about the brother thing. I uh, I think the head coaches have to do what's best for their team. Um, even with that, you know. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't have a problem with it. In fact, I think it would be, you know <laughs> – so not talking about NC State, you got to kick somebody out of the wolf pack because, you know, they're uh, – all right, we'll, we'll go Lion King. You, you know, you got to kick Scar off Pride Rock. 
you know, nobody's mad at Mufasa except Scar and the hyenas. Does that make sense? Uh, good offense like other teams. Well, look, last year nobody played defense. So, you know, yeah, Arkansas could score, whatever. Missouri could score in year one, but everybody could score last year. I, I, I think that the plan on paper – was setting up to have a pretty good offense this year. I don't think anybody thought it would be explosive. Um, but with how it's been implemented, it's uh, they really hamstring themselves. And I don't think South Carolina had expectation. I mean, you know, of being top four in the uh, conference in total offense with the youth at quarterback, with, you know, limitations at receiver going in. But the frustrating part is they've taken what this offense does well and completely blown it up. And there's no reason for it. And I don't care what anybody says. It's not a talent issue. You can sit there and tell me it's a talent issue on the offensive line. Well, if that's the case, and I I guarantee you it's not, if that's the case, then you're looking at a two- or three-year rebuild, period. And Eric Wolford, who I think, Last time I checked, had a pretty good offensive line at Kentucky. It was a pretty good recruiter. There was a lot, there were some questions about his ability game to game to coach, but nobody ever questioned he was evaluator and recruiter. Look at all the offensive linemen he left behind the first time in one year. Those guys were cornerstones of some of the best years in South Carolina history. Don't tell me it's Wolf and he left no talent behind. That's asinine. That's asinine. So you take what you do best and you ruin it. Because you confuse everybody. Because, you know, you want to install something too complicated. The first question I think any coach has to ask is, can our guys do this? What do our guys do well? And what's frustrating about it, and I don't know why Beamer's frustrated is, he said that when he was talking about, I don't care what scheme you run, but you better be able to put your players and identify what your players do well and then let them go do it. And I feel bad for Shane because, you know what, that's what Lincoln Riley did. I mean, they would be better off right now, even though Shane Beamer has never called a play on offense in a game, I don't think. They would be better off right now had Shane Beamer said, I'm going to call the plays and run Lincoln Riley's system. Period. Because it's a proven college system. Now, would it have been ideal? Would there have been some head scratching? Probably. Would it have been top five in the SEC? No. But that's a system that you look at and you adapt and you go, oh, that we, you know, what are you, what are you good at? Well, good at running the ball. Good at run blocking. Power runs. Okay. All right. You got a quarterback that's somewhat mobile. Good. All right. So that's the deal there. And I get it. Haven't had a good offense seven years. I, and look, man, there's been some moments. 2018 had some moments. 2017 was awfully talented. But, you know, Roper didn't do much with that. So, I, you know, I don't know that – I don't know they had not had good offense. I don't know that they've had a great offense. But I also, I also will say this to counter it, and this is not to excuse what's going on now, but South Carolina – historically, like I said, it's a program that usually wins with defense because that's kind of in the footprint. Uh, I don't think anybody's quite figured out what the best thing to do offensively is here. 
I think Spurrier got close, you know, with uh, running zone read and, you know, kind of with the Mangus Elliott Spurrier plan. Um, I think Bobo could make it work, what he was trying to do, although I think eventually he'd get frustrated with it because it's a lot of – it's not what you'd call this wide-open dynamic thing. It relies a lot on talent, but say what you want about Mike Bobo, he put the players he had, what little he had, in position to move the football. And that's definitely not happening right now. Thanks, Justin. Jeff says, what do you make of Shane's post-game pressers? He seems defensive when asked about Satterfield. Your thoughts about all this, and thanks for all you do. Shane's got pride, man. You know, he's a nice guy, full of positive energy, all that. But I think coming after a tough game like that, you know, and you get hit with a question that's a legit question. I mean, I'm no um, – what, Gene uh, – what's his name, Sapikov fan? <laughs> No Gene Sapikov fan, but Sapikov's question was legit. I think everybody wanted to know that. His job is to communicate, right? And so, you know, no reason, I think, to get defensive. But I, I know that <laughs> I know that when you go in and you're like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, we're going to go talk to the media. You know, what, what – you don't really want to air your dirty laundry in public. That's what my mom used to say. And so I think he's trying really hard not to throw people under the bus, and he, he just kind of gets frustrated, and it sounds defensive. We'll see what he has to say today. I mean, look, I, I think the reactions to Beamer's press conference, and I know everybody's fired up and awesome and ready to roll, and, and you know, they're very if there wasn't interest, nobody would care. And I think it's great to care. But I think reading into too much for the press conferences, it's just going to drive you crazy because, you know, you went from a guy in Muschamp that was very guarded and like to just throw football terms out there or whatever to a guy that's going to put a positive spin on most things, as he should, because I think in today's game, you, you, you know, you, you can motivate. Play. another Again, another frustrating thing about it, Beamer did – Beamer, his off-the-field staff, the coaches, everybody did a great job with the culture in terms of confidence with these guys, with effort with these guys. They were beat down at the end of last year after all that happened. I think Beamer did a great job. And then you get here and, you know, the offense is too complicated. You know, the offense is a dumpster fire. That's disappointing. Tristan says, do you feel the D-line has played to their potential? I don't. They've been pretty good, but I expected great. We should be in the backfield almost every play. I'm going to stop you right there. That doesn't happen. Um, I think the D-line gets a lot of blame for the run game. Uh, and I'll tell you this, it, it, to stop the run, you know, it's great when you get penetration on the D-line, super-duper if you make a tackle. But their primary job is to engage blockers, Right. So the linebackers can make the, the tackle. It's not every play because you call different things. Um, I thought the D-line first – I mean, and then with Tennessee, you're not going to get to the quarterback a lot. You know what I'm saying? Because they, they go so fast, they're getting out fast. Uh, what you want to do is affect the passer. I thought at times they did that. He says, we've got top-notch talent, enough depth to keep them fresh with our style of zone defense. I think it relies on the rush to get there before the quarterback can figure it out which leads to turnovers. Agree, and I think they've done a pretty good job there. 
it's just tough again when you're playing a tempo team because they just get it out too fast. When we don't get there, though, we get picked apart, which probably explains a lot of the deep plays. Overall, the defense is much improved, but still room for a lot of improvements. I agree as far as improving. Um, you know, there's some things to clean up on defense, but you know, it's not like the guys are out there confused. Um, you know, quite frankly, you know, sometimes on Saturday, the Gamecocks DBs just weren't fat. They didn't react fast enough and close on the ball on the perimeter. And because they were hitting those passes on the perimeter, it set up everything else. When you get into third and four, third and short, third and less than four with that offense, they can call anything they want. And most of, and then they're going to go forward on four down if they don't get it. And you got a guy like Evans who's going to push the pile. So I, I, you know, it's it's some people are griping about starting to rumble about the D line a little bit, and that happens whenever you know you give a bunch of rushing yards. But the rushing yards aren't always the D line, and I and I think when you look at it, guys like Pickens and Ellis, Enig Barre, and all those guys, you know, have they played perfect all year? No but they're active and they're making plays and you're right about the turnovers. They, they wreak havoc. And that's, that's why you can get interceptions and fumbles and all that. I think Saturdays didn't get there. Then the tackling on the perimeter that gave up the yard set up, you know, relatively easy play calls and conversions for Tennessee. But I agree, Tristan, a lot of room for improvement there. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and stand on the table and go, ah, if it weren't for the offense, Carolina would be national or SEC champions. No, I mean, the, the defense has improved. A lot of individual players are playing their best football. I think that's all you can ask for regardless of the results. There are going to be days where the defense isn't what you call dominant. And when you talk about recruiting your way out of something, I think defensively, you know, that's probably, you know, what you're looking at in some of these situations. Sean says, hey, JC, uh, says three and three, not mad, still a lot of football left. Just seems to be Tennessee's day. I don't know how else to explain it. My two bright spots are Juju McDowell and Jaheim Bell. I agree. Juju runs hard every play for a smaller back, seems to fall forward. With Jaheim, you could see the potential, NFL bound. Quick question on rivalry, neutral site games. Heard a Florida fan talk about how they can't wait for the game against Georgia and Jacksonville because of the tailgate and live events. Would you ever consider a Clemson-Carolina game at a neutral site every 10 years ago? Not every year because of tradition, but something to switch it up. Maybe have a game in Darlington, similar to Virginia Tech and Tennessee at Bristol. Darlington, huh? See the traffic on 95 and I-20 getting that place for a Clemson-Carolina game. Uh, Maybe. I mean, you know, what you do, though, just like last year, there was some controversy. Not a lot, you know, some chirping from fans and stuff that, you know, Clemson lost its home game in the rivalry. And so they got to go to Columbia two years in a row, two times in a row. And so that's what you run into. You'd almost need to play it like and, and see, you don't you don't feel good about playing the Clemson Carolina game in Charlotte. I mean, it kind of seemed weird to play it Georgia and Clemson in Charlotte, but you know, that would be kind of the the neutral place you'd have to do it. Uh, if that stadium were in York County, I don't think there'd be a problem, right? But, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of places to play it. Uh, I think the hope with South Carolina playing North Carolina in Charlotte was that it would be, kind of become one of those good neutral site games, but it's just between kickoff times and then, 
you know, unexplained apathy by Gamecock fans toward playing there. And, you know, it's definitely one of those South Carolina things I don't understand, but uh, that's fine. I, we can have this debate in the offseason. Uh, I think that's what's kind of derailed that. But, um, you know, Darlington one year, why not? You know, that, that, uh, but you'd have to work out the following year to see, okay, who gives up the home game. So maybe you'd almost have to do it two years in a row. Thanks for the email. Charles says, hey, JC, I'm sorry you have to play therapist for us fans after a loss. I'm not satisfied with where his team is right now, but people calling for firing a Beamer or Satterfield six games in their first season don't understand how football or life, life works. That includes other game cut podcasters. Vegas predicted 3.5 wins. Fans said five or six. Now those same fans are freaking out as they watch their predictions come true. I wish the loudest voices would take a Xanax, calm down, close their mouths for a minute. Let's watch this entire season before we judge what the coaching staff was able to do with Muschamp's team. Thanks, JC, and keep up the good work. All right, I'm going to agree and disagree with you here. I, I think firing Beamer right now, if anyone's saying that, that's ridiculous. If anybody's even calling it into question, they're blind. Um, and look, on the field, Chains had some calls he probably wants back as the head coach, right? I bet he wishes like hell he would have, you know, no, let's just try to run it in on Saturday, right? Um, I think he probably wants the last end of the first half at Georgia back, right? Uh, most coaches do, no matter how experienced they are, right? When things don't work. So, I think if you're like that mad about Beamer potentially making a bad hire at offensive coordinator, you need to check yourself first and foremost, because I think that's that same mentality that everybody gets into where they just ignore that there's a rest of the game. They ignore that there's any other position on the field besides quarterback. It's a tech mobile mindset, man. There's no such thing as recruiting other than star ratings. How's that working out for oh, North Carolina right now, by the way? Um. And, and, and so I think that mind, that's the type of mindset that I don't like that would lead to anybody questioning the Shane Beamer hire right now. Because you can say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's his responsibility to hire a good offensive coordinator. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. It is. You're right. But you're ignoring the other hires he's made. And you're ignoring the improvement that many, many players on this team have made individually. You're just dismissing it all because, okay, there's an iffy hire at offensive coordinator. I don't agree with Marcus Satterfield. Uh, and like I said, miraculous turnaround, Charles, I'll apologize to you. I'm not going to back off my opinion on it because I've seen too much. And I know kind of from digging into it a bit, if you will, what the issues are. And they're inexcusable issues. You know, and in 14 years of having the Bigspur.com, being on local radio, talking about the Gamecocks, I have never gotten off the bandwagon. I've always given coaches, assistants especially, ample time, whether that's John Hunt, uh, name the other whipping boys, Deke Adams, Kirk Bakken, Lorenzo Ward, John Hoke, uh, who I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, 
people had issues with Ron Cooper's recruiting, even though Cooper brought a lot of NFL guys in for whatever reason. Um, I've always given them the benefit of the doubt. And I've always thought, well, if this happens, you know, Steve Spurrier Jr., there you go. Uh, I only said he wasn't going to get the head coaching job. That's all I said about him. And that he wasn't doing a good job. But, you know, I've, I've always given them ample time. I think given the circumstances right now, uh, there's been ample time. And it's not just – it's not about the results so much because um, it's a results-oriented business as it is about, like, the process and the implementation and the fit. Uh, I don't think he's serving his head coach well at all in terms of what his head coach envisioned for this offense. Because the talk was, let's do something your players can do. Well, that's the first box. You know, well, you better put – you know, something where you, if you have the players, you need to do this, you know, whatever you play to your strengths. That's the first box you could check. And there's no way in heck that uh, this is uh, this is anything on the college level players can do. Maybe if you're at Alabama, I don't know. I don't even – I ain't, from what I've been told, the Alabama players have a hard time with this. Um, so – uh, I'll say that to you. I'll also say this. Is the talent on this team SEC, East, competitive level? No. There's not a big talent gap between the Gamecocks and Kentucky, though, and they're 6-0. and oh. I do understand. Stoops has been there a long time. And when you're entrenched like that, you're, you know, you, you, even if you have kind of the same quote-unquote talent, you have an advantage. But what's basically happened is the – the, they took over a team and the coaching staff has improved two thirds of the team on two different phases. And on offense, what they've done is taken what they've done well and completely screwed it up. And there was no reason to. So um, that's it. And, and the Vegas line, look, Carolina's probably going to get past that this weekend. Um. I would encourage you to go back and and I know some years Vegas and, and, and what happened was in 2019 Vegas said five and a half wins and everybody was thinking seven or eight tough schedule that year but everybody's thinking seven or eight and then they won four and so now everybody like swears by the Vegas line and if you look back in time that's just not it's just not always it's been way off a lot. Muschamp's first year was way off. Uh, 2014, it was way over. Um, you know, you can look at it and tell. And they're going to go over this year, most likely, three and a half. Um, but, you know, I till, still maintain from a player standpoint. And look, man, here's another thing, Charles. Think about how many injuries they had the last – and knock on wood, they don't have any more. But think about all the injuries they had the last few years. Look at how healthy this team is. So, so there's not, you know, 2018, the defense goes to crap at the end of the year and can't, can't stop anybody. Well, they're playing a bunch of freshmen and, and because they were half the defense was hurt. You know, they couldn't get off the field against Virginia. Well, they don't have any I – mean, their guys are gutted. Last year at the end, 2020, 41 points against Kentucky. Made Kentucky look like the daggum greatest show on turf. Well, look who was playing in that game. Walk-ons, freshmen, guys that weren't ready. T-Rob's calling it. Good Lord. No wonder. Couldn't stop anybody. But 
that's kind of my my deal there, you know. Um, and maybe I am one of the louder voices, uh, but I can compartmentalize the Beamer thing. I think it's asinine for anybody to be calling into question him. And, you know, I think when you, when you sit, when people sit there and talk about Ray, Oh, Ray hired him. I mean, that's completely unfair. It doesn't matter who hired him. Look around college football folks, look around to see who hires who and then who else they've hired. And there's no rhyme or reason to any AD being good at hiring. Um, unless you're Scott Woodward at LSU, who's got an impeccable track record. Okay. Uh, maybe Danny White at UT, especially if Hyper works out. But that's like two athletic directors out of how many? 130? Uh, so, so, so don't sit there just because you're pissed off at Ray Tanner uh, and, and, and attach that to Beamer because it's not fair and it's ignoring uh, the progress that he has made in a lot of important areas in the program. Nobody bats a thousand. I don't know of a single coach out there that hadn't had to make an assistant coaching change um, to help the program move forward. And I trust Beamer will do the same. But we don't. We don't have any idea. I mean, you know, look, the time to criticize him will be if things remain status quo, and he just sticks with it. Uh, that'll be the time to say, "Oh, criticize the head coach." Then. I mean, I, I think there's one problem right now. Um, and so I'm going to disagree on the Satterfield thing, but agree with you on Beamer. Jeff says, first, I will apologize for this long email, and I have no desire to be aired. All right. So, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to respond to that otherwise. Ken says, good afternoon, JC. Hope you're doing well. Thanks again for the great content you put out. I have a comment and two questions. I definitely read into the storyline of two first-chair head coaches going against each other as an even matchup. I think it was naive of me to believe that Shane Beamer would only make perfect calls as a first-time head coach with no costly mistakes. However, I'm hinting at the second goal play that has the fan base on fire, rightfully so. I guess this is part of the growing pains of having a first-time head coach who is learning. I can't believe none of the coaches on the sideline said anything to stop that play. It's very concerning. My understanding is – the only person that can overrule the offensive coordinator now is the head coach. The, there's not a lot of listening otherwise. And I don't know who said what on the headset. It was, you know, a quick play. It was terrible, and I guarantee you Shane Beamer wishes he had it back. All right? I'm trying to grasp the positivity of the program at the moment. I've seen a lot of people classify us as a lower-tier SEC East team, and the way we're playing isn't helping that narrative. Got to be Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee and those schools to get back out of the lower tier. Is this just part of rebuilding? Maybe. I know we have players, but we're not showing much signs of playing well what it matters. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know about that. Defense has played well. I mean, I know they gave up rushing yards against Kentucky, but it matters when you get fourth quarter turnovers. It also matters when your offense can't do anything with it. So, uh, special teams, Parker White's kicked field goals when it matters. Juju McDowell's had returns when it matters. You know, the the fake punt, Kai Kroger, that that ball stayed in the air for forever. (laughs) But, hey, it worked. Touchdown. So, there's there's positivity. There's positivity in recruiting. There's positivity with player development. I think there's some frustration that's going to set in if things don't change. 
The last question is in regards to one I asked a few weeks ago. It seems we have two mindsets in the fan base right now. One is that Beamer will get three, four years to turn this around, and others are on the five to seven years train. All right, so let me just tell you this. Whoever's saying the five to seven years train does not know what they're talking about and has a uh, over-the-top visceral hatred for Will Mischamp, which I understand it's frustrating to watch his teams. If it's your favorite team, you're pissed off, right? But he didn't leave it in terrible shape. People are, well, two and eight, it's a terrible record. Well, let's think about that, man. It was two SEC wins. How many times has South Carolina gone two and six in the league over the years? Lou, I think, did it back-to-back years, right? Um. The four and eight year, obviously that sucked. But they had enough to beat Georgia and Kentucky. You know, let's get off of this thing that, you know, there's no players on campus, there's none of that. I've seen that movie at South Carolina. Go back to 2016. And look, after Muschamp lost to Tennessee by 20 points in 2019, I was completely off the bandwagon. I knew it wasn't going to work out. He was gone. I said I, I, think, I thought he should be gone. I said Ray should consider it. So don't think I'm this big Muschamp homer sitting here. I mean, he actually got one more year than I thought he would. But look, and the, the five to seven years people are like the people that go back to the 80s and 90s. You know, that, 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 this program is completely different. It's a different time in college football. There's the transfer portal, for God's sakes. Even if they didn't have players, they could go get guys. Um, so the five or seven years, people don't know what they're talking about, okay? They're just making excuses for what's going on right now. And there's nobody in the football building that's full of excuses. I can assure you of that. Outside of, you know, maybe one or two guys. And I don't know that anybody's making excuses at all. Speculation. So, look, Beamer's probably going to get three or four years. But think about this. And and I hope he is the coach here for 25 years. I really do. He's got a passion for the place. I think he's a smart guy. He's a good guy. He's a good recruiter. He's put together. I mean, he got his – he batted 800 on his staff, uh, even if you're being hypercritical. And these people that want Monterio Hardesty gone right now are insane. I think. Completely insane. You have nothing to judge him on right now. Um, so at least 800. And, hey, if, if the blocking scheme turns out was like teaching calculus, maybe you batted 900. It's a hell of a deal for a first-time head coach. Look, look at Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz. I mean, Lou Holtz nodded out of the park with his staff, I think. Going back and looking at it, you know, you had Charlie Strong, Skip Holtz as your coordinators. You had Dave Roberts, John Gale. A lot of those old Holtz guys, Todd Fitch was on that staff, Buddy Pugh. I mean, you really – Holtz, of all the coaches that have come here, not in the park. Steve Spurrier didn't. He had to fire Madre Hill after the first season. He, uh, you know, had to change defensive play callers mid-year, you know, and Spurrier, it took him a while to get his staff right because he wasn't a big staff guy. Beamer is. Beamer actually helped him hire most of that staff. Beamer knows what he's doing. But there is no coach in the country that has 
never made a bad hire that they look at and go, oh, made a mistake here, got to change. And that includes Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and Ryan Day and Urban Meyer. I mean, you know, Urban Meyer left Florida because he hired the wrong staff, okay? Well, let's give Beamer a little credit. Um, but what you got to look at is, you know, there's a new president, South Carolina, probably be a new athletic director next couple of years. There's leadership change. And I think if you're a coach in any sport, you know, you, you need to have it right. Okay. And so I, I you know, I, and, and I, don't, I don't see there with this program. Now you look, you say five or seven years. What does that really mean turning it around? Right. I think quite frankly, it takes at South Carolina some trial and error years and some all that uh, to get back to winning the division or winning 11 games. That takes five or six years, folks. That's why I defended Muschamp until the bottom fell out because Muschamp met the minimum standard the first three years wins and losses wise, no matter how mad you were about Clemson being good or performances in games or his press conferences or whatever, six, you know, six and seven, nine and four, seven and six. It's not a bad three-year period considering what he took over. He took over a roster that was not even close to this one, right? Now, you can say what you want about some of the players on that roster knowing more how to win because they're part of a winning program, but wasn't even close talent-wise. And the numbers, you guys will see here down the road. Um, when the NFL draft comes around. So, you know, so, so what does that mean? Three or four years turn it around. I, I don't, I don't know that it means three or four years to get back to 11 wins. I, I think that where South Carolina has to get first is back to where they were most seasons between 2000 and 2014, which is a bowl team, a solid bowl team that can win its share of games. Sometimes that they shouldn't. Um, and not drop the games they, they should, and then be ahead of the programs that you were, you know, for years everybody's like, South Carolina is just a tough spot. It's geographically here. They don't have enough players in their state. It's just a tough deal. Well, great, super, that's fine. There's more players there than there are in Kentucky, more players there than there are in Missouri, you know. All right, Tennessee's now won three straight. It's gone three straight, three straight, three straight, three straight. So it's time for South Carolina to win that one again next year. Be disappointing if they don't. I mean, you got to crawl before you can walk. So if people are saying five or seven years to get back to that, no, no way. No way. And I don't think Shane Beamer thinks that. If you're saying, you know, three or four years to get back to that. I don't know. I think three is probably the most you should wait to get back to a bowl. Although, you know, you're losing a lot of players and, you know, depending on if you're hitting the portal, portal's kind of like the lottery a little bit. You know, so, so it depends on what you mean by turning around. He said, I know you said you don't think we would give him five years or more to get us right. Just would like you to touch on this again. And how many years do you think it's realistic to give Beamer? I'm not saying we should fire Beamer. No, not anywhere. Um, it's only year one. Sorry for the long email and being uncharacteristically negative. It's okay to be negative. 
Neg- the negative positive thing gets me because there, there are some things that need to be said truthfully that are inherently negative. You know, can't be positive all the time. Can't put a positive spin on things all the time. I think you've got to be fair and live in reality when you're talking about this stuff, but it was a great email, Ken. So, so yeah, it, 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 as far as how much time, it just kind of depends on what you mean by getting it back. I, you know, I, I tend to think there's enough there to get to a bowl this year. Okay, fine. If you screwed the pooch on the offensive coordinator higher, go fix it. And, you know, if you go four and eight or five and seven and you just miss it, all right, fine. Go recruit and get rolling again. Right. So that's uh that's the deal there. Bill says Kai Kroger, Captain Bill, had the pleasure of watching the game Saturday with Tiny Tank's bow. We were speechless. First half was pitiful, among the worst football I've seen. Nothing went our way. Seemed like Kai Kroger was our MVP the first half. Then he threw a touchdown pass in the second half to boot. Should we build the whole plane out of Kai Kroger? Kidding aside, we didn't roll over and die. Came out swinging in the second half. Showed some backbone. Is there anything to build on there? Not offensively, in my opinion, because I don't think – maybe, maybe – all right, I'm, keep the faith, maybe. And Vanderbilt's not very good. So, chances are they're going to come out and look good, and you guys are going to send me a bunch of emails saying I'm wrong. Do we do anything different offensively or just throw caution to the wind or did Tennessee let their guard down? I don't think they did much differently at all. You know, I thought they uh, – I don't know. I mean, I thought they just kind of did like they did in the first half. Some plays worked, some plays didn't. There was only one offensive touchdown in the second half. And had they done what they did when they got on the six, on the three? Maybe a different story. He said, thanks for your fantastic podcast. It makes my drive to and from the submarine base a pleasure. Very respectfully yours, Captain Bill. Thank you, Captain Bill. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there was any kind of magic that was found second half. I think Gamecocks just played better. Tennessee did not play as well. Chris says, is there any chance Satterfield has his play calling duties revoked this year? I can't answer that. I don't know. I'm all for making a change when things aren't working, but there are not any obvious candidates on the offensive staff to take over. Um, I, Chris, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I you know, Eric Kimry's call plays, be it at the high school level. I'll tell you this, based on everything I said at the top of the show, I'd probably rather go with a high school guy than an NFL guy at this point. Um, and then uh, Justin Stepp hasn't called plays, but I know he's well thought of in that regard. And then Pete Limbo has been a coach, and he's a coordinator in 97 at Hampton, Sydney. So he does have some experience as well. I, and, and Shane. I mean, so I, you know, I don't, you know, you may even bring Pat DeMarco in as an assistant if you, if you made a change right now, or even, <laughs> believe it or not, Zeb Nolan, you know. Uh, you know, there, there's ways to make it work if the situation becomes untenable. And I, I don't have any knowledge that that's going to happen, but I, I tend to believe it can't get much worse. All right, so that's all the time we have for today. I'm going to jump off. Holla at you soon. We've already run long.